Now, the, the CIA had lost track of its operative in Ireland that they named Murphy. The CIA boss says, well, all I can tell you is that his name is Murphy, and that he's somewhere in Ireland. So, if you think you've located him, you'll know it's him, because you can tell him the cold words, the weather forecast calls for mist in the morning. And if it's really him, he's going to answer, yes, and for mist is noon and well. So the spy hunter goes to Ireland and stops in a bar in a small town. And he says to the bartender, he says, maybe you can help me. I'm looking for a guy named Murphy. The bartender replies, well, you're going to have to be more specific. So around here, there's a lot of guys named Murphy. There's Murphy the baker, who runs the pastry shop on the next block. There's Murphy the banker, who runs the president of our local savings bank. There's Murphy the blacksmith, who works at the stables. As a matter of fact, my name is Murphy, too. Hearing this, the spy hunter figures, well, I might as well try the code words on the bartender. And so he says, the weather forecast calls for mist in the morning. And the bartender goes, oh, you're looking for Murphy the spy. <laughs> <laughs> This morning, we are still leading to Easter. We are going to look and examine one of the most powerful scenes in all of Scripture. It takes place just after the Last Supper at a place that we have called, come to call the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's here that we find Jesus uh, in Luke 22. We find him tempted one final time. And now it's, this is talked about in, in but we're going to be in Luke 22. We'll use details from every one of them probably at some point. But this morning we're there in Luke 22, starting in verse 39. And there it says, He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray, Father, if you were willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently. His sweat, his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you and we praise you for... Your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would be with us this morning. Father, use me as a vessel. The words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this account and all the truth that it contains. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people said. The CIA man in the joke had made the mistake of thinking there would only be one guy named Murphy. How many of us, when it comes to this story, picture a pretty little garden with a sign that says, Garden of Gethsemane. I know that's what I always thought growing up, right? It was this little garden. We've seen the pictures. We've seen these things where this is the Garden of Gethsemane. We just thought, hey, it's the place we're going to go. If I put it in Google Maps, surely it'll show me where how to get there, right? That's, that's what it is. But Gethsemane literally means oil press. So the Garden of Gethsemane wasn't the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a garden of Gethsemane. There was more than one. This was literally the place of the oil press. Now, how this oil press works is very important to our story. It's very important to what's going on here. Now, 
You may have seen pictures uh, or movies of an animals turning the millstone, right? The, the horses or the, the cows or the oxen, they just walk around and they go, and, and as they, they go, it, it's crushing things. Well, that's the first step in getting the olive oil. This reddish liquid would come out as the olives are crushed under the millstone, and the liquid carried in it bits of leaves and twigs, the skins, all that stuff, all the dirty stuff. And so the paste that forms from this is scooped up and then spread into a burlap cloth. Then the cloth is then placed under a stone column on which weight can be added, the Gethsemane. The more weight that's added, the more oil comes out. And this time, the oil is pure. All, all the dirtiness is gone. All the filth is gone. So getting pure olive oil in Jesus' day was a two-part process. First, you would crush the olives. Then you would purify, press the oil out. The site that the most historians believe is the Garden of Gethsemane is on a ridge overlooking Jerusalem. So Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, makes his way to the Garden of the Oil Press to pray over what is to come. And in the garden, Jesus was put under great pressure. Jesus was, was grieved. He was a bit distressed. Never before have we seen Jesus like he is in this moment, right? Every other time we see Jesus, Jesus always seems like super Jesus, right? I mean, he's there and the, the, Satan comes to tempt him in the wilderness and he's like, <laughs> no. Man, not my brother alone, well, yeah, but every, every, every word that comes from the mouth of God, that's, we don't do that, Satan. I mean, he stands up to me. The Pharisees come in, the Sadducees come in. They come and attack Jesus, and he stands up to them. He looks at the religious leaders, but he calls them vipers, and he tells them they're sons of the devil. I mean, this is the Jesus we're used to. When we get to the garden, and Jesus looks a little different. He looks like there's something going on. We've watched him heal the sick. We've watched him make the blind see. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him raise the dead, and now he's distressed. Now there's something different. Imagine what the disciples were thinking in this moment. Especially these, these three that he takes with him. Their fearless leader may have, on some levels, appeared afraid, right? I mean, this was the first time. What was this about? Jesus, in, in this place, is, is contemplating feeling something he had never felt before. He's in a, in a place where uh, something, something's about to change. Have you ever been in one of those spots where you know the next step that you take is going to change everything? That's where Jesus is. He knows the next step that he takes. He knows when he leaves this garden, the next step that happens is going to change everything. He knows within this little place where he's by himself talking to his father, he knows that something's fixed to happen. Because in the garden, Jesus felt sin for the first time. The first time. That's almost hard for us to wrap our minds around it. We're, we're so used to sinning in our lives that the idea of never having sinned before, that, that just that blows my mind. But Jesus, until this point in his life, has never felt sin. He doesn't know what it feels like to have that kind of wall, that kind of separation, and that kind of guilt bearing down upon you. I was, 
I was a guilty conscious child. I mean, I wish my children were like me. Um, I can count on one hand the number of spankings I got in my life. Because I had a conscience that would just make me buckle under the pressure. If I did something wrong, I knew that it was wrong. And it didn't take 10 minutes before I was telling on myself. Because I could not handle the weight of the fact that I had done this thing. I had a bad thought. I had a bad thought one time. And we're driving down the road. And I busted out ball. And I'm like Shallow's age. My mom's going, what in the world's going on? I had to tell her this bad thought that I've had. And they're like, you're crazy. <laughs> Jesus had never felt that kind of stuff. He had never felt guilt. He had never felt shame. He had never felt any of the things that go along with that. Imagine his feelings in that moment. If you had never sinned, if you had never done anything to separate yourself from a perfect relationship with God. And so the choice Jesus has here in this garden is not only to feel sin, but to feel every sin ever committed. I crushed under one sin of my own sins. Not every sin ever committed. Here Jesus is in the garden and he's having to make this choice. He's there with his father at the place of purification. The perfectly pure took on all of our impurities. Took them on. Everything that we've ever done, everything that we will do. Quite literally, Jesus found himself being crushed by the weight of the prospect before him. And for a moment he wonders, isn't there some other way? Can this not happen some other way? says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Your child looks at you and says, Daddy, oh, can do this? It's hard. Because sometimes we want to say no. It's okay, you know. Father, is there, is there any other way? It's one thing to know that you're going to do something. It's another thing to actually begin to do it. Anybody ever go to, back, back in the day, General Dynamics Recreation Area? Remember that big old platform? I remember stepping off that one day. It was one thing to say I'm going to do it to impress all your friends. And then you start climbing. And then you get to the edge. And you're looking down and you're thinking, I'm going to die. <laughs> that's just it. I'm going to die. That's what I was afraid of and I knew it wasn't going to happen. That's Jesus knows he's going to die. Jesus knows he's going to do this. This next step. He's looking at it and he's going... He's lived for 30 some odd years on this earth. He's lived here. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us, there's that country song, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. I mean, let's be honest. We don't. We're, we're you know, I have, a, I have a very godly woman that, that, that I have, have been friends with for a while. And she will tell you, I know where I'm going when I die, but I'm going to go clawing and kicking and screaming because I'm not in a hurry to get there. I'm not in a hurry to find my way there. 
And so we find these things and we find ourselves in those situations where we're going, okay, this next step. You know, for you, it might have been the first time you went hunting. The first time you go to pull that trigger is a completely different experience. Because you can imagine it and you can think about it, but when you know, when you pull the trigger, the lock's going to end. There's something different. Or maybe for you, it's speaking in public. Some people can't get up and speak in public. They just can't do it. They will freeze up. It'll be done. It'll be over. Some people, maybe it's marriage. You know? Some people can't take that step. Maybe it's surgery. First time you ever had surgery. I don't know if I want to have surgery. I'm scared. But Jesus is here. Things are going to change. This if here wasn't a lack of faith. It was a sense of urgency. It was this idea that I'm perfectly submitted to your will, Daddy, but is there some other way? Is there some other way I can do this? Because this cup that he talks about, what's the cup? Well, Isaiah 51, 17 talks about the cup of his anger. Jeremiah 25, talking about the cup of his wrath. And Revelation is the cup of his wrath. And Matthew's account, he prays the same thing three times. Three times. I don't blame him. I mean, you know, my kids, when I tell them no, they ask over and over and over again, are you sure, Daddy? Are you sure, Daddy? I don't blame Jesus one bit on that night going, are you sure, Daddy? Is there any other way? Can I do this some other way? Because here he is. He wanted to be sure. He wanted to know this is what needs to happen because when he takes this cup, the pressure is going to be so great that the human body physically should not be able to withstand it. Because when he takes the cup, he goes through a process which medically is known as hematidrosis. Hematidrosis. A condition where a person's pores bleed because of severe stress. The capillaries in his head began to, to swell. And they swelled to such an extent under the pressure that when he sweat, his pores were literally pouring out blood. And it was dropping to the ground because of the weight. The weight of your sin. The weight of my sin. The, the prospect of what was coming was so great that his capillaries burst, causing him to sweat blood. Under such great pressure, an angel is sent to minister to him and to take care of him and to do all those things. And honestly, what's going on? He gets up and he goes back to where the disciples? They're asleep. They're asleep. The disciples in this moment are painting the picture of, of why Jesus must do what he had come to do. Because we can't do it ourselves. He gave them one prayer, right? He gave them one job. That's the irony in all this. Jesus had given the disciples one job, one task, one request to accomplish while he went through this agony. <laughs> Pray that you may not be tempted. Jesus knows what he's going in the garden to do. But he doesn't say, pray for me. Pray that I have strength. Pray that, that I can walk through. Pray that I, He doesn't say pray for me. He says pray for you. Pray that you won't be tempted. Pray that you can overcome. Pray that you can do the things that need to be done here. And they couldn't do it. Three times in Matthew, he comes back and he finds them sleeping. Jesus is experiencing the greatest agony he will ever experience next to the cross. And all he asks is that they pray and they fail miserably. You know, some, something here is that there's two things about the importance of prayer. 
about where we need to be in prayer. The last words he says to his disciples before the end is pray that you won't be tempted. Pray because what's fixing to come. Pray for you. Pray for your strength. Pray for what you need to do. Jesus understood that without prayer, the hard things of life would overtake us. That still holds true today. We have to pray. And that's why Jesus had to go through this. We couldn't do it. We can't do it. We cannot get it done. We can't follow all the laws of the Old Testament, no matter how hard we try. It's impossible to do. It's an impossibility for us because we have selfishness raging within us. We have all these things going on. And so Jesus just says, pray and pray. Pray for you. Pray that you have strength. Pray that you don't enter into temptation. Pray. But Gethsemane also paints this picture of what's to come. There's two big events of the work of Gethsemane that paint the picture here. Jesus had just instituted the Lord's Supper. And this experience of Jesus in the garden clarifies it. Remember that first step to make it olive oil is to crush the olives under the millstone. In the next 24 hours, Jesus is going to find himself crushed by those who would seek to kill him. They're going to flog him. They're going to beat him. They're, they're going to mock him. They're going to take that cat and eyes tails and they're going to beat him until his flesh looks like hamburger meat hanging off of it. He is going to be crushed beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And then they're going to nail him to the truth. And on that cross, Jesus is going to feel the full impact of our sin. And for the first time ever, he's going to feel the love. Carrie says that I have, a, I have a hard time being alone. She's probably right. I, I like to talk. <laughs> Carrie could stay in the house for weeks. Or she thought. She found out during the lockdown she can't. But <laughs> she's okay being alone. I'm not. I, I, I like to talk. Jesus had never been alone. Ever. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus had never in his life, his existence, been alone. And on the cross, for the first time ever, let's get this right, he wasn't alone, but he felt alone. Daddy, what happened to you for sleep? Why am I going through this by myself? Where are you? Is basically what he's crying out. That's what we remember when we take the bread of communion, the body of our Creator, our Savior, beaten down, bruised, crushed for our sins, for our imperfections. And just as the olives were crushed under the millstone, Jesus will be crushed during his death on the cross. That's what we remember. But just as the fluid that flows through the millstone is red, the blood of Jesus flows down the cross. And by the time he got to the cross, he was covered in blood. His blood flowed and spilt upon that ground for us. That's what we remember when we take the cup. Jesus' blood shed for us. But remember that final step, that final thing that happens in the production of olive oil. Through the crushing weight of the Gethsemane, the oil in the end is pure. What a beautiful picture. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, what was once our dirty, filthy sin residue is cleansed and purified until what flows within us and from us is the purity of Christ himself. He takes all the impurities and he takes all these things just like the Gethsemane took all those things from the oil to make it pure 
crushed makes us pure. It's not an accident that Jesus has this encounter in a place called Gethsemane. The very process of purifying olive oil is a picture of the very thing that Jesus was going to go through in the next 24 hours. He did all this not to purify himself, to purify us. At the place of purification, the perfectly pure took on our impurities in order to give us his purity. Man, how amazing is that? What kind of picture is that for us to see? Because this isn't simply Jesus went and prayed. This is Jesus goes to the place that is the best description of what he is about to go through. And he lays down on the ground and says, Daddy! Please! I know, I know, I know. I know this was our plan. I know that this was the plan from the beginning. But Daddy, is there some other way? Is there something else that I could do? But if there's not, I'll do it. But if there's not, I'll do it. Jesus went through all that he went through there so that we don't have to. He was crushed and perplexed and felt alone for the first time so that we don't have to feel those things. Because we can have his spirit within us. Jesus felt alone so that we would never have to. Maybe this morning we've come back to this Easter season and it's easy to just go, it's easy. But everything about who we are is about Easter. Everything. You know, I love Christmas. Y'all know me. My tree goes up in October. I love Christmas. And without Easter, none of this matters. Maybe today you've been you've been in the funk. You may have been in the funk. It just can't seem to get to that point where, man, this is Easter. This is an exciting time and this thankfulness. Maybe you've been there. Now's the time to say, okay, I'm ready. This is Holy Week. I am ready. I am ready, Jesus, work in me this week. Maybe this week you have been struggling with something else. Maybe you've just been, just felt like thing after thing after thing has fallen on top of you. You ever been there? Seems like things just keep rushing at you. Now's the time to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to put them aside. And I'm going to say, Jesus, you show me. Maybe today you want to to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to share the missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning, maybe you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe, maybe for you, Jesus has been that guy on those cute necklaces. 
He's been the guy that people talk about. He, you've heard some words, but it, you never, you never knew. And now you want to know. Now you want the freedom. Now you want to know that you're never alone. Just walk the aisle. Say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus, and we'll go from there. It's not hard, but wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings.